Hi, I'm Brian Boger. Welcome to my podcast, Flipping the Lid. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, and well, just a human being like you. I've faced personal tragedy, significant trauma. I've dealt with shame, anger, and self-doubt, all of which have created a ripple effect of damage in my world. I'm grateful that I've learned the importance of looking and going inside to create, repair, unpack, and reach levels of success that I never believed possible. Now as a coach, keynote speaker, and author, I'm fascinated by the stories that have shaped some of our world's most significant and successful individuals. So we're gonna flip the lid and take a look inside the stories that have shaped their lives and success. And we'll be featuring a number of individuals who have literally flipped the lid in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Flipping the Lid. Let's go jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Lid. You know what we do here. I'm not even going to give you the rundown because you've already understood by the now that we look deep into people's lives and we try to extract the stories that are relevant. Today, I'm super excited because the individual that's here with us today is not only a very close personal friend, he's been a mentor and he's having massive impact in the world. He's also somebody that has personal experience losing over $100 million, having to understand how to go inside and unpack the stuff that's keeping him stuck, remove the trash from his past in a place that he could then propel forward to be able to elevate and empower over a billion people as quickly as possible to be happy in their lives and to create more wealth, more freedom, more fun, and more connection. And so, brother, man, I'm looking forward to jumping in with you today, Dave. I can't tell you, you know, this is the busiest or most active week of my life. Super Bowl is like taxi, you know, sports guy. And there's no place, no interview I'd rather be at than here with you. You've had uh, not only an impact on my life and so many others, but also a testament to my mission in life. Right? My mission is to empower over a billion people to be happy. In order to do so, I have to help empower a thousand people to empower a thousand, empower a thousand. And that's not an easy task because, you know, it's one thing to empower people, but it's another to empower people, to empower people, to empower people. It yeah. takes a certain skill, a certain knowledge and desire, and you encompass all three of those. And watching you elevate and accelerate has brought great both joy, but also inspiration to me uh, because I know I can scale if I meet more Brian Bogans. I appreciate everything you just said and reflected back. So that's why I think the second we met each other, we knew there was collective impact inevitable when we connected. And, you know, I gave a little intro on who you are, but why don't you tell us who you are from your place? Yeah, you know, I always define my journey of who I am. So uh, who I am today, I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, worthy, a person on a journey trying to figure out what I that. It wasn't easy to get there because I started off in the world of not enough. So Vic, you know, uh, with a single mom, six kids, a woman who worked two jobs, a second grade teacher, and filled up turnstiles at convenience stores with greeting cards just so we could eat. Uh, her idea of empowering as a parent was two things, love and education. So she loved us to death. Uh, and then overloved us, I should say. She didn't love us to death. I would just say overloved us. Uh, and, um, and I think a lot of people probably resonate with that. They hopefully think of their parents or parents. Yeah. And then uh, also education. You felt as if in order to get out of the victim, the not enough world that uh, I was born into, that education was going to be uh, yeah. the vehicle in which all of us could do. And so my siblings all went to the Ivy League, graduated summa cum laude. Uh, I have a quantum energetic and genetic inheritance to academia. 
So I did very well in academics, although I didn't think I did very well because I got a B. Um, and when I went to college, I started to realize the unrealistic expectations uh, or maybe realistic expectations my mom had of us academically. Yeah. But I quickly moved from the world of not enough, wanting to be rich, to buy my mom a house and a car, into a world of learning. And that world of learning was a world of just enough. It was a counterintuitive world where you think you have everything, but you still have nothing. You think the world is for you, but it's still to you as a victim. Uh, and it's a very tricky world. So I graduated law school. Uh, went against what other people thought, which was probably uh, the greatest differentiator in my life is yeah. I finally had the cojones to tell my mom that she didn't know what she didn't know and I wasn't going to be a real lawyer. I was going to work on the internet, even though she said it was a bad decision. She yeah. told me the internet was a fad in 1992. It may have been in 1992, uh, but I took my own life in my own hands and made my own choice about what I wanted nine months out of law school. I was a millionaire, which was great. I bought my mom a house and a car, paid off my law loans, but it was a very dangerous counterintuitive world because I thought I was living in abundance. I thought I was a philanthropist. I thought I was doing everything for everyone else. I thought that I was superior in nature, that money did buy love and happiness. And believe it or not, from the time I was 24 till the time I was 36, everything in my life, except for a few red flags, indicated that I was right, that money bought love and happiness. I had everything, houses, cars. I married my dream girl. I had three beautiful daughters. I worked not only as CEO of Samsung's phone division, but I worked as the CEO of the world's most notable sports agency. I had access to what billionaires couldn't even afford. Everything in my life said I was living in a world of abundance. But as those three red flags indicated, I wasn't. And so my journey led me to my, you know, abuse, drugs and alcohol, it led me to almost losing my wife and my life. Uh, and two years after my transformation, my quantum leap, two years after it, uh, the universe prepared me for losing everything over $100 million, going bankrupt. So since 2008, I would say since 2006, because my bottom was 2006. Financial bottom was 2008, but my basement had a basement. It was 2006. I was at a basement financially at eight. Yeah. So, you know, here we are 17 years later in 2023. I've been on a journey of enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential, living in not a world of not enough as a victim, not a world of just enough for me, the foolish world of transaction, giving to receive everything in trade and negotiation, as they say in Latin, quid pro quo a scarce world of just enough. I live in a world of abundance of everything for everyone, more than enough of everything for everyone, a world of more than enough that isn't happening to me or for me, but happening through me. And like I said, people like Brian Bogart are a testament to how life is happening through me and now through him. I have to say that might be the most robust, complete wisdom packed answer to a who are you question I think I've ever heard. And it's not surprising. But the beautiful part about that is I think that's one of the things you and I both really share is the ability to surrender in the moment and channel to what needs to be said and allowing the universe to just flow through us so that wisdom comes to us versus having to access knowledge. 
right? You gave a very comprehensive life story that gave so many nuances and so many pieces were embedded in there that like weren't really the, the moral of the story, but they're so significant. Take me back to the time that you were in the victim mentality as a kid and where that came from, from your mom. And let's start there for just a minute because not everybody understands or identifies like as early potentially as you did that they have the chance to take ownership versus be a victim. I'd love to know what you were feeling in that time. And regardless of the narratives coming from your mom, like what were the narratives coming from the other sources in your world? Yeah, so it's really important because um, there's a lot of things happening in my life. My dad left when I was five. So I immediately took on a sense of responsibility for my mom. So a lot of the victim uh, mentality was because I saw my mom as a victim. Mm. My dad was abusive emotionally, cheated on her, uh, you know, just wasn't a good husband. Yeah. Um, and so I took on that. Like my mom's a victim. I'm living as a victim. I don't have a dad. I don't have money. I, you know, surrounded myself because of my academia with people who more were set on their dads were doctors, lawyers, you know, and so they had a lot of stuff going on that I didn't have. And so I lived in this why me world of not enough. And so I became hyper competitive and scarce. Now, I will tell you, I come from energetically and genetically a scarce uh, family lineage and probably a past life lineage. Like even the wealthy people in my family are extremely scarce, even today. And it was never more present than during uh, COVID how scared my family is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a brother that uh, is Sumo Kumati at Harvard, right? That has a PhD in social ethics. He's probably academically one of the most superior academics in the country yeah. to work for presidents. And yet he carries that energy. My other brother went to war for school, London School of Economics, MBA at Columbia, my sister, MBA at Columbia, multi, multi, multi-millionaires, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you would think they're poor. Right. Like they, they literally just live in a world of not enough, you know, anything. And they're just afraid. And I had to break the chain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, there was you know, sexual abuse when I was nine that, you know, that created other victim oh, yeah. uh, mentality of, you know, how could I, you know, I, I couldn't tell my mom what was going on because I thought it was going to hurt her. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's hard for me to say. Right. So that's a a lot of work to go through. And I didn't, I I didn't even address the issue what happened to me at nine until I was 50 years old. Once again, thanks to my wife saying, Hey, you got your shit together, Dave. I'm proud of you. No, let's tackle this one. Yeah. I, 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 I'm just tired of you making, because she was one of the few people in the world that, that I opened up to that it even happened. And she knew the jokes that I made and the pain that I was in. Um, and it, it brings up a point that, that you teach, and I want to maybe suggest a, a different way of explaining taking out that trash. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm always open. See, I, I'm more uh, uh, of a transformational person in the fact that I believe that we can transform our trash into treasure. I agree with that. Yeah, and I knew you would. And I'm only talking vernacular yep. because I think it's important when people think they're going to get rid of their trash. Yep. Look, there's still plastic bottles in the ocean. You you can change the plastic bottles in the ocean to algae or energy or hopefully someday even yeah. food. Uh, that would be really nice if yeah. I could do that. But I'm looking 
to always transform my trash into treasure. I agree with that. Now, what I will tell you is though, it's not always in the predominant narrative externally, the reality is our treasure is formed from our trash pressure. Right. Right. And so our treasure literally comes from the same sources. And, 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 and that is absolutely embedded in everything we teach. But just like you identified, you can recognize and live in all of these treasures for a significant period of your life. Right. You took what you existed in. You had to become the man, the protector and the connector in your family to care for your mom to a place that also meant that you did not admit your own natural feelings in situations because you didn't want to put harm on her. Right. Right. You experience sexual abuse that puts you into an even less safe, even less protected place where you know you're not seen, understood, and you're not connected, and it causes people to retreat even further into themselves. And you didn't deal with it until you were 50. Yeah. Right. And so why well, still teaching people of to course, deal for shit? Of course. Which and, made me feel more like a hypocrite than anything else. But here's the thing: like that's the thing about all of our trash is that there's layers. Yeah. Right. And just because it's there doesn't mean that you're aware of it, and it also doesn't mean that even if you're aware of it, you're ready to deal with it because sometimes digging through it makes you feel like trash. Right. And so. What I wanted to really highlight in what you just said, because it's beautiful, is you had created so many external treasures in your life, but because you hadn't actually dealt with some of the deepest, darkest trash, it came back to continue to bite you in your fatal flaw, in your relationships, in your business, in everything. And that's the fundamental of what we teach is like, look, that's the only thing that will keep you stuck and repeating the same patterns. Because until you transform it or discover where the trash pressure made it treasure, right, you can't move. And you've done that. And so what I, what I really want to, first of all, say, I always love your vulnerability and how quick you are to be able to demonstrate emotion, right? That's something I've told you before. Like sometimes I actually envy that you can cry as quickly as you can, because I feel that, but I conditioned myself for so long not to cry. Yeah. I believe, by the way, crying is perspiration so that, you know, as, as you work out, you perspire, yeah. you cool yourself down. I'm very, I've cleared a lot of interference. Yeah. So for me, it's a testament to that clearance yes. and I'm perspiring uh, yes. emotionally. And, and by the way, why I wish that I had more ready access to it. This is one of the things I'm focused on right now. It's continuing to surrender to those other elements of pieces that I'd shoved down or suppressed because it is, it's, it's a release. It's perspiration. It's, it's, it isn't a physical expression and release of things that you're carrying inside. And so I have to find different modalities to release. But what I'm really curious about is like, in today's world, and especially when you were a kid, right, crying was not something that was accepted, right? It's, it's no, you show up, man up, toughen up, shove your emotions down. And you did that largely for a long time. But what I'm curious about is who gave you permission to cry? And when did that start to become readily accessible for you? Let's say my wife was the first person that mm. I could be myself with, that could experience the truth. And, and just get it off my chest. I mean, I went to suppress so many things in my life that I blacked out the fact that, you know, my oldest brother, he was a stepbrother, but lived, lived with me. I had two of them that, you know, nine years older than me, you know, had done this to me until he called me in fear as a doctor at 28 years old mm -hmm. to tell me that he had HIV and that he was sorry. And like, I, I, I literally was on the telephone. I remember they didn't have wireless phones back then. I was on the telephone just sitting there going, what's he talking about? What's he sorry for? He's dying. What is he sorry for? And then he kept talking and explaining. 
And I was overwhelmed. I still am overwhelmed. I'm still, you know, working through that. But that's how much I protected myself. You talk about we don't even know, right? I, the armor we carry literally disconnects us and we think it's what's protecting us. And then it hurt me because I couldn't tell anyone. Yeah. And until I felt extremely comfortable that no matter what, that I had unconditional love for my wife the way that I have it for my, my mom, that I felt comfortable telling my wife and starting to heal. The irony is I told my mom uh, and the way I told her was that I went public with it because uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and I are, are friends and we did an interview and he said, it was funny, I was doing an interview with Todd Bridges and Todd Bridges was abused as a child and I don't even know where it came from. I admitted that I was abused. Sugar Ray Leonard said that. And I broke down crying yeah. in the interview. And I said, I was as well. And then I, the way I told my mom, I was like, hey, I really want you to see this interview. It was like Blink, the movie. My mom watched it. And she's like, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. She did not, could not see or hear what I was saying about that part. You know, just like if you've never seen a book, like that's how much, like, I, and I understand that as a parent. Yeah. Right. And, and I just let it go. And I still let it go today. She's 80 and I have to go to therapy to understand, sh should I broach the subject again with her? Yeah. Right. And, and, and deal with that. But it was really interesting how I sat in front of, and that's all I heard was me admit that I was abused mm -hmm. as a child and my mom couldn't even be aware of it. Even though I know she was watching the same, it was on, you know, back then Amazon Prime. Uh, and so we were watching it on TV and she couldn't see it. Did you ever close the loop with her on that? Not yet. And, and it's difficult now because she has a, a, a little bit of dementia. Yeah. She's older and more fragile. Um, and I'm already at a, a better place of peace. And once again, I still think I have protective energy of course you do right and even more that i should have told her you know when i was nine because my mom was so strong she raised six kids on her own all went to the ivy league summa cum laude all empowered she could have handled it yeah and now ironically it probably would do more hard than good maybe she wouldn't even hear me so here's the thing i want to just reflect back to you as a friend um, you know my belief on the word should. Yeah. It's immediately telling you that what you did, who you are, how you did it is important. Nice. I like it. Right. And so when you say I should have told her when I was nine, no, you maybe could have if the variable would be different. You maybe would have had you known what you know now. But the reality of it is, is that you've made the decisions based on the variables that have existed in your life always and consistent through the lens of trying to do what's best for her. And so what I want to remove from you is the weight that you still carry for not having alleviated or communicated that earlier in your life to her. Because at this point, if your self-healing exists, if it's not something that she was consciously aware of or that she's dealing with any kind of resistance herself from, then bringing it back into her world probably doesn't solve anything other than for you anyway. Right. Exactly. And so it's one of those things where, again, alleviate it because maybe the time has passed. But, dude, you can't look back on that and be like, I should have told her earlier. Fuck that, man. Like, I hate, like, I hate that word because it's like... It's so good because part of the therapy that I went through, so I have this philosophy about accountability. Yeah, right. I, I know accountability is what you're responsible yeah. for, but I also had a, a, a law of attraction uh, a, a, a 
of account of perception of accountability, which was what and it just drove my therapist crazy, right? Because I went in and said, Well, he goes, Well, how do you look at it? I said, I asked myself, what did I do to attract this yeah. to myself and what am I supposed to learn from it? And he fought me. He's all no nine-year-old attracts this himself. It's not about a past life. There's nobody, nobody attracts that to, to, to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's things to learn from it, but nobody attracts it. You didn't attract your You attract the truck that ran over Exactly. So it, it really perplexed me because I believed in the law of attraction. And I had to question what, what it was. And what I realized and where I came to peace was a third stage of accountability. It was what did I do to participate in the perception? What did I do to participate? And like you said, this is where the should things come in. You know, at that snapshot, that inflection point, that defining moment of my childhood, what did I do to participate in it? Well, I protected my mom. Right? I protected self. Right? I protected community. I protected brand, family brand. Right? I protected. And so that's how I participated in it. Now, Today, I don't want to participate in that perception anymore. Yeah. I don't want to. Maybe at some level, I need my mom. I still want to participate in a perception that I am a protector of the person who gave me life and that's protected me. And the same way that I try now to protect the ultimate, omniscient, all powerful that protects and promotes me the same way my mom did, except for the all powerful source is all knowing as well. And unfortunately, to my detriment and my mom's, she's not on mission, but she certainly carries an energy of protection and promotion for me, or she and I'll carry the same for her. Of course she does. Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely an unfair weight and burden to place on any. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the armor alone, let alone the trash that you picked up in that period of time that you carried for so many years, it's just heavy. Um, you talked about you weren't able to really shift successfully until you knew you could receive unconditional love from beautiful breath. Yeah. When did that happen? It happened uh, two years before I lost everything. I lost over a hundred million dollars when bankrupt. Uh, I was in uh, a bad place, but not economically. So describe that to us. I was sur- I run the most notable sports agency in the world. Yeah. My ego, my superiority was out of control. Uh, and so uh, because I was living a glamorized loneliness, where what I mean by that, a lot of athletes and celebrities and entertainers live glamorized loneliness where everyone wants to be them or have their job, and yet they're still living their life and they know their truths. So I was alone trying to uh, mirror the success that others thought that I had uh, by surrounding myself with the wrong people and wrong ideas. I was partying way too much and lying and cheating, manipulating, overselling, back-end selling, which is quantum to my nature, the addictive personality that I was born with, energetically and genetically. My dad was a compulsive gambler. It went on and on uh, in my family. To the fact that some of my cousins that were summa cum laude at Harvard Medical School killed themselves, right, because of the OCD, the the, the genetic inheritance that I had. I just picked a, a different poison than grades. Right. And so um, for me, uh, my wife, when I walked in one morning at 530, I was with little John lying there, coming and getting wasted. You know, she told me 
uh, one of the few people in my life, and anyone in the past that told me what she was about to tell me got the same reaction as she did that night, which was, I was lost and she was leaving. Right? Right? So I was told by my dad I was lost. I told by my mom I was lost. I told by my best friend I was lost. Now I was told by my wife quite unequivocally that I was lost and she was leaving with my children. And my initial reaction was the same as I told the other people over the last six or seven years. I hate you. How dare you? Look around you. Who do you think did all this? Who is the almighty? Right? And as I came to think about and my wife's reaction was, if your mom knew who you really were, what would she think? And I remember my mom telling me, I told my mom, when I told my mom I hated her one time because she said I was lost. And I said, and I don't, she's like, you, you're lost. You, you have no faith. You think you're in control. I said, I don't even believe in God, mom. I said, oh, son, you don't believe in God? She's like, no, you believe in God. I said, no, I don't. I did all this. He wasn't there. I, he would have punched me. I did all this. She said, oh, no, you believe in God. You just believe in so I sat there the next morning, all of the hate, the blame, the shame, the justification living there and thinking about how I was going to punish my wife. How dare she? I'm going to take her joy, her money. I was going to get divorced, all these things. And that's where my faith started. And it wasn't just faith in her, that she actually cared about me. My mom cared about me. My dad cared about me. And my best friend cared about me. But I tell the story about the jacket. The reason I told my dad I hated him, he gave me a jacket with no pockets when I was 30. First gift in 20 years. First time he reached out to reunite with me and to have him bond as a relationship. And I shunned him away again and told him, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, back in. So I don't want your jacket. I don't need your jacket. You don't can't teach me anything. I don't think that money is... God, that money buys me love and happiness. You're crazy, but when I sat there, I hadn't seen that jacket. But it was literally the only thing I saw in my closet. And I stared at it. I don't know how long I stared at it, but I just remember staring at it thinking, I don't hate my dad. Don't hate my mom. Don't hate my best friend. And I certainly don't hate my wife. I hate myself and my life. I was a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, back-end seller. And I'm going to take stock in who I was, just like my wife said, and who I want to be. And I'm not going to lose my wife. And that's the day that, you know, here's the interesting, because I've told the story so many times, and it's been years now that I've unraveled the yeah, layers of truth, and the truth will still unravel itself. It's a limited truth that I give people I'm still learning. Yeah. But I, I remember it took me a long time. Right? It took two years before I lost everything. Right? It took me a long time to be who I am today. And so when people ask about my wife and that unconditional love, like it, it wasn't just the fact that she told me who I was. Yeah. It was that for the next seven years of the 17, knowing that I knew the truth and that I was working on it, that she had the unconditional love to give me the time to figure it out. But she didn't take the expectation that I warned him. I told him, he, yep. look, look at you. You're doing the same shit again. Yep. It was another seven years until 
that quantum leap, I took stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And the last 10 years, I continue to grow and get better and have been great in our marriage. And, and yes, I feel fine about, I don't need unconditional love because I'm giving it back fully to you now. Yeah. Well, you know, what I think is really beautiful, I mean, you and I have very similar tangential paths in so many ways, right, that have happened. Yours were just more physically painful than mine. Well, but I mean, <laughs> I, but, 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 but the emotional pain that's attached to those things are true as well. You know, we talk about armor, right? And anger is armor. Yeah. And I'll tell you that for me, it was not so much different. I was always in seek of who, but didn't have a model, so I chased the what. And similar to even how you described, what's interesting is though it was very unconscious for me at the time, I still was seeking love and connection through validation and performance as well. And so when I was in that position, right, it's like, well, if I build a life of such significance and prominence, maybe people will like admire me, want to be around me, right? And this was an unconscious thing that I have unwound over the last decade. But again, that's all through that ego-based consciousness and the armor and the protection that comes in here, right? You talk about anger and the reactions that took place you know anger is something that i had to unpack i didn't even know it existed and again my wife sat on my back patio and basically told me that i was the reason or the main reason that contributed to her losing who she was because of how i showed up all the damage that i created i used to believe that my wife in moments when i was dealing with anger i would have these blip moments where i would be like gosh she's so weak <laughs> And when I realized the power of my energy and the intensity of my anger, and the fact that anger is armor designed to push everything and everyone away from you because it's the self-preservation from being abandoned, and sexual abuse, and having my, all the stuff, right? Like, it all comes from the trash. So once I realized when I started to diffuse and see that she put up with me for as long as she did, with as strong as I was, there's nothing other than absolute, probably one of the strongest women that could exist on this planet. I'm really curious. You, I know, have shifted so many views and gratitude and appreciation towards your wife through this period of time. When you talk about it, it took seven years until you really started to shift into caring for her and having the gratitude and appreciation to exist in yourself. What did that seven years look like? in your marriage, in your family, in your business, and most importantly, in here. This is a critical component of what I teach and what I've learned because the human capability is interesting and I look within the aspect of the human capability that behavior is an energy just like money. I mastered the energy of money and I still have. And uh, understanding how to mm -hmm. utilize that energy with very little resistance but I hadn't with behavior. And so what I learned about my behavior from the starting point of fear that I was gonna lose what I loved the most, my wife and my kids. My behaviors created progress, but the human capability, I did not see progress. And if I can't see my own progress, then my wife can see the worst, the progress as well. And so, what the seven years looked like was the incremental realization of the progress that I was making indicative by my behavior. And so the forgiveness that she could have for the actions that I took were compensated and elevated by showing her that more and more of my time was spent in good behavior 
and less of my time was spent in bad behavior, allowing me to have an epiphany or realization now over the last few years that the only instant result of behavior is progress in alignment with the trajectory of that behavior. Therefore, everything that I live with and teach and empower is to utilize behavior in the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential with an open mind, open heart, open hands, and control of the mindset, heart set, and handset that is utilized in order to effectuate three things that energy does. And I've studied that this doesn't come simply when I tell you what it means because I'm still unraveling it. I've studied hundreds of hours about this. There's three things that energy does. It aggregates, it collects on itself. And I use money as my baseline to learn how behavior does the same thing. It also compounds on itself, which creates exponentiality. And then it accelerates upon itself, which allows things to happen faster and faster and faster. All three things are humongous in the pragmatic world. Yeah. And so when I realized that behavior has three properties of aggregation, compounding, and acceleration, then all I do is use this analogy that takes people back to money, which no, uh, no uh, coincidence that Einstein, the core of relativity and the core of his own equals MC squared, the core of his scientific beliefs are under the rule of 72, which is the rule of aggregation, compounding, and acceleration. So here's how I live my life, and this is how I can best explain those seven years and still the last 10, although there's bigger feedback on the last 10. She's getting benefit now, yeah. not paying. Uh, but here's how I explain it. I started to give $1,000 on my birthday of energy towards who I wanted to be and $100 every month of energy towards who I wanted to be. Knowing that with money, that if I gave $1,000 to my child when they were born and $100 a month and $1,000 every birthday, that they would have over $2 million in 18 years. So here I am, almost 18 years. My wife's getting the benefit of $2 million worth of good behavior to be a good husband, to be a good person, to have faith, instead of having $2 million of pain yeah. into lying, cheating, manipulating, overselling, back-end selling, yep. and being disappointed. How do you define good and bad behavior? I don't necessarily... I mean. I love the idea of good. So good behavior is defined in the trajectory of what I think I want. Bad behavior is energy or behavior that is interfering with that trajectory. And so in my own judgment, good behavior would be on the trajectory where I think I want to be. Bad behavior would be interfering with it. And it could be completely inverse for someone else. Yeah. So based on that definition, what bad behavior do you still have in your world that you're working to remove? All of them. I mean, difference is that I have studied time. So time has been the variable of all matter in my life. You've heard me say it a million times because we do shows together. And so subjective and objective matters. Where I've made my major progress that can be quantified is time. That I spend minutes and moments in bad behavior. Yep. I spend minutes and moments interfering with my trajectory. I spend minutes and moments not being consistent, persistent, and pursuit of yeah. my potential, my higher self. And so time to me is a savior. Yeah. It because is. it allows my human capability to recognize, remember, and recollect source and become a better resource to that source by saying, look, I like 
two, two of the basics identification everybody should be aware of to simplify this when you start is I know that guilt is the interference of the past and anxiety is the interference of the future. However you want to define guilt, you'd say regret or you know shame or blame, whatever you want to say. I just say, do I feel guilty? Okay, I'm going to spend minutes and moments in yeah. guilt because I can't change the past. Or when I'm looking to the future, oh my God, the economy's turning. Yeah. I spend minutes and moments in anxiety that I might lose everything again. Yeah. Instead of days, weeks, months, and years in what I deem or define as bad behavior yeah. or interference, F-E-A-R, interference. Yeah. As it relates to the people that mean most to you, right? Your wife, your kids, right? I know your mom and your other family exist into that. And you so beautifully articulated like these fear elements that exist in pockets of your family and you dealt with it and overcame it. And fear actually helped you refine your focus and actually move to where you are today because the fear of loss of the most important people in your world drove change in behavior. So as it relates to those individuals today, what work do you still have to do to deepen the relationship and the bond with your daughters, with your son, and with your wife? Um, two things. One, my relationship with self. Yes. So I work on myself every day because I can't give what I don't have. So that's the number one thing. And even if that was the only thing, it would improve uh, the relationships with everyone, especially those most relative to me. Yeah. But the second thing is just an awareness. Uh, and it's awareness of snapshots. I think it's really important that utilizing the understanding of self in the context of meeting people where they are at. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that when my uncle goes to a charitable be event that I did five years ago when I turned 50 and he's sitting with the board of the Unstoppable Foundation in my family and he says, I wonder how much Dave's making out of this when I was trying to raise millions of dollars for community centers in Africa and my wife flips a lid, <laughs> right? And comes to me and tries to evoke interference, ego interference. Yep. And I was blessed to spend moments in ego. First, I was offended. I didn't need to be offended. And then I realized you worked on yourself, brother. Yeah. Therefore, the snapshot your uncle has when the majority of the time your uncle has known you is when you were 16 to 24. Yeah. And that's not who you are anymore right. because you've been working on yourself. And number one, forgive him for being truthful because that's who you are to him. And it's okay. Yep. And so number one, forgive him and forgive yourself for being that person. Yeah. And feel grateful that you're not that person anymore. And I'm not. I am for minutes and moments. I'm still that guy that, you know, lives in scarcity, can oversell you, back and sell you, lie and manipulate and cheat you. And I catch myself doing it sometimes, right? And even in our own personal relationship, right? I, I was a mentor of your one-on-one -on -one coach of yours. And I had given you what you needed and you yep. needed to go find someone else who sits in a situation that you want to be in. And when you, you initially told me that yeah. I spent minutes and moments offended. Like, and guess what? I put it on you. He doesn't get it. Oh, he's making a huge mistake. I'm a goddamn genius. And he, he's going to lose out. He doesn't even understand the quantitative value that he's giving up in this relationship. And I spent minutes and moments and I actually caught myself and said, Hey, Brian, 
right? Because I, I was in the middle of other things. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't have a completely open mind. I wasn't my hundred percent. So I just said, Hey man, let, let me think about this, how we're going to move forward from this. And what I was really saying was, right. Let me see how I can move forward on myself yeah. because right now I'm so offended yep. that it's not going to be good for, for my, yeah. I have experience at this and I love you so much and I only want the best of you and for your journey. And thank God that was my mechanism yeah. compared to 10 years ago when I would have, you know, not only damaged myself, but tried to damage you for us trying to help each other. It, it so blows my mind how screwed up I was in the past. But at the same time, it all comes from that initial protectionary place. It all, it's all rooted in abandonment. It all is rooted in where is my value tied? And when it comes to certain relationships, right? Like, how do I navigate that and recognize that my value is independent of whatever external measures exist? And something that I've always said about you, and by the way, thank you for sharing that because that's a moment that I look back on with a lot of pride in our relationship. Me too. And a lot of pride for you in particular. Thank you. And, and, and because you lived into the person that I believed you to be. Because minutes and moments, we're all human, right? But what I've always said to everybody, always, and everybody's always asked me this, like with our relationship, I'm like, man, how'd you get so close? And I'm like, we just connect, right? Like, day it's one. just deep. Day one. And I do that with other and, and you do that with lots of people. And so it was great. But I also said the other way that I can exist with Meltzer in the levels that I can always is because I genuinely believe that he will never intentionally create damage in my world. And if he does, he will create repair. If it's unintentional or intentional, he will create repair. And that's something that I can't say for so many people. Many people create damage and don't seek repair. And I look at it like, look, we're all going to inevitably create damage. It's only in the repair that matters. Yeah. And so for that, I'm really grateful that you're there because you do that frequently in your life. When you fuck up, yeah. And I've seen you do it a million times on our shows. You're like, man, I snapped at my daughter today. Yeah. Man, I, man, I was with, I was, <laughs> I was at a football game and I was distracted and I didn't, did Miles wasn't paying it. Like, right. You literally just own it. And, and, and typically you're seeking repair. And so for that, I just want to say thank you because that's a significant model for people to see an example cast from. And for someone that operates at such a high level financially in business and in life, shit, you've got one of the most recognizable smiles in business right now. So good. Um, and that, so, that's recognized by because the rest of the face, you, you know. Well, the, nose, really the nose distracts, but it draws attention to the mouth. Right, right, exactly. It's like a small <laughs> face. The smile looks bigger and the nose looks bigger. I, I always say I'm blessed with a small face. <laughs> <laughs> so I just would love to know, is there anything you'd like to leave as a closing thought for today? I, I, I always do. Um, because everyone's on their own journey. I, I know I have these simple sayings that I end our show with. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's the two things that changed my life when I am human. When, you know, there's fear in my life, separation or interference. One, reminding myself to be more interested than interesting. I want to leave everyone that, you know, questions are great. I, I, I'm so proud of the people that are here with me because they've been with me the longest, right? These three people that, that are here. And one of the greatest achievements of their maturation is they're all more interested than interesting. I see them asking questions. I see them being interested in source. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the second one is easy and it's probably going to be on my tombstone. Uh, if they still have them with, with physical ones, if not, it will be on my virtual Your digital one. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and if I was a tattoo guy, it would be my tattoo. And it would say, be kind to your future self. 
dot, 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 do good deeds. Someone asked me the other day, hey, I got all this uh, crypto. What should I convert it into? I said, crypto is a currency. That means it's an energy in motion. That's why it's called a currency. Yep. Right? It's an energy in motion. Uh, and the best thing you can convert your currency into is good deeds. Mm. Good deeds are a currency. And it's an infinite currency uh, that will be remembered, reminded, be collected when you're not here anymore. Mm. They will not talk about how much crypto you have when you're not here anymore. That's right. But they will remember, remind, and recollect the good deeds. So convert your most valuable currencies into good deeds by being kind, being kind to your future self. I promise you, your life will change. I do, as you know, want to offer your entire community my book for free. Please just email me. I, I sign them, I send them, I pay for shipping and the book. So it's not like you know, other guys out there standing in front of cars they don't own saying, hey, I'll give you my book for free. Just give me 10 bucks for shipping, even though it cost me four bucks, right? That's about basically what it cost me to do. Yeah. Besides my signature, which devaluates the $4 even further. <laughs> uh, so if you don't want a signature, make sure you say no, no signature. I think uh, it'll be worth more someday that way. But please just email me. Put it in the notes, David, yeah, we'll at com. There's also Brian at Brian Bogert or at Brian. Yeah, Bogert, got Brian. Exactly. It took me so long for that. I don't know why. But let me just say this real quick, marketing-wise. I think it's so cool that I do it because what people don't realize is it's kind of straightforward. I'm like, email me, David at dmelster.com. But it's much more obsequious and organic when I make fun of your two handles. Yeah. And then people remember it more That's right. because I'm like, who the heck has Brian at Brian Bogert but at Bogert Brian? The opposite. But by me even telling this story, it just helps people know it's, it's, it's significant. Which is one of my magics. I love you and thank you for being here, brother. Oh, no place. That's why they call it the Super Bowl because we get to be with the MVPs all week long. And Brian Boker is one of the MVPs in my heart. And uh, thank you so much for being such a dear, honest friend, just like my wife. I love the fact that you call me on my bullshit and you appreciate me for who I am. I do. I'll be for who I am. I feel the same way about you. Thank you, brother. So for all of you that just witnessed this, you can rise to fortune. You can accomplish your treasures. But until you deal with your trash, until you actually look inside and start to be honest with yourself, until you can give yourself unconditional love, you can't receive it from other people. But that's what's going to allow you to have the trust to drop the armor because you'll know you'll be safe. When you continue to reconcile and try to move through the trash from your past that's kept you stuck, you can transform it into treasure. And Meltzer is a perfect example of that. But again, you have to be kind to your future self. And that's one of the deepest lessons that we teach is when you look at your trash, you have to remain objective and non-judgmental because if you're judging yourself, when you raise your level of awareness, you're just perpetuating the cycle. Continue to flip your lid and scan your camera.